And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. It's four to six A to B, competitive excellence, and the brotherhood. The plan to win uh, has never changed. So the culture here and the plan to win is always going to be here at Ohio State. Ari Wasserman, Ohio State coming off of another productive NFL draft, Ari, but in a weird way, Ohio State has 10 NFL draft picks, and I I don't think people feel uneasy about it, but it was like not quite as good as I think people have come to expect from Ohio State because they they weren't super top-heavy in this draft, or at least not in the first round. So we'll get on some of that, what the draft told us about Ohio State, look ahead a little bit to next year's draft class, which I think is going to be a monster, um, and then talk also about uh, Jamison Williams and the transfer portal, how that impacts Ohio State, where he might go next. But uh, Ari, the NFL draft, like 10 guys going, makes sense to you. I think it makes sense to me. Like, what, is, is it a good draft? Did you think it was a good draft for Ohio State? It's funny because you put yourself in a position where they had the most picks total. And I think that when we look through the lens of college football teams and which ones are most talented, I don't think you do it and judge it by first rounders. I think you do it based on how many draft picks are are on your team. And they had more draft picks than everybody and tied for Alabama. But then when you compare them directly to Alabama, which is the team that they played and got embarrassed by in the national championship game, Alabama had six first rounders and a high end second rounder and Ohio State had a bunch of middle middle tier picks or middle round picks. So it's just like for perspective standpoint that's the analysis of the game. Like there it is. Like that that's it. What is it? Yeah. What did you think of the Alabama Ohio State National Championship game? Just here's the link to nfl.com's draft results. So like, you know, I I think that I mean, like what is the standard like if Ohio State is humming what is the standard of how many first rounders that you should expect them to have in a given year? And I don't think it's ever rational to expect more than two at one time, right? I mean, there's only 32 picks, so like, or three. And every now and then, you're going to have spurts where you have three in the top 10 or whatever. I mean, Ohio State's had those spurts. Um, and I think more so than anything, whenever a team has 10 picks, 
it seems like they're rebuilding, or if they have six first-rounders, they're going to have to rebuild from that, even if you're stacked the cupboard. But if you had a draft class like Ohio State had, where it wasn't as top-heavy, I think you might be in a position where you're looking at the next year with as much talent as they have as being a monster, the way you said. And it's like, if you look at like the Big 12, the Big 12 didn't have a first-round draft pick at all. Like, I mean, I'll say that again. The Big 12 did not have a first-round draft pick at all. But it's just like, does that just mean Oklahoma's going to be freaking awesome next year? Because, like, that's kind of how it works. So, I think from a standpoint of top-to-bottom talent, Ohio State had had 10 picks. That's great. But if you're trying to put it in perspective as, as it relates to Alabama, well, you had your results in the game uh, in January, and now you have the results in in the NFL draft members. So I think that that will probably bleed into a little bit of discussion about just like context of like where Ohio state stands in in the sport. And I think more so than anything, this was revelatory in the sense that I think that this Alabama team, which tied the 2004 Miami record for most first round draft picks in a single year with six might've just been one of the most talented teams in the history of the sport. And the team that Ohio state got beaten up by in the national championship game might just be one of those once in a lifetime teams, which is what we discussed after the game, right? You know, they had a lot of players who inexplicably came back after potentially could have been first round picks a year ago. And they built that super team. And in a weird year where, you know, COVID kind of impacted everything, like the best team in the country without question one at all. And we got a season out of it, but I don't know. And maybe I, I was wrong in the reaction to the national championship game about the gap between the two programs, because even that isn't sustainable for even Alabama. And Ohio State and Alabama, with their classes that they've just signed and are on track to signing, will continue to have talent like that. But that isn't, that's not even Alabama when they're regular. That was, that was an extraordinary team for Alabama standards that Ohio State faced. So, you know, when you compare them to Alabama this past year, obviously not as great. When you compare them to the rest of college football, 10 draft picks, regardless of where you put them, I think is extraordinary. Uh, we won't go guy by guy for Ohio State's recruiting class. They had 10 picks. Um, if you go to The Athletic, use, do we, here's what you do. Use this code, theathletic.com slash 4-6. Get you subscribed to The Athletic. Uh, makes us look good. And I know you want to help us look good. And then you can go read the ridiculous amount of draft content that is on The Athletic right now. It's absurd. And you can read like in-depth analysis of how all these guys fit into their new teams. Um, theathletic.com slash 4-6. Read up on Ohio State's ten NFL draft picks. I did not. Um, I like. I, I felt everything you just said coming off a national title game. Like it was pretty apparent to me that the. I don't know. I guess you can say it's just an overall discrepancy in talent, or I guess another way to say it is like sort of like or compare it is like sort of like the timelines. Like Alabama just had a bunch of dudes who were like ready to go play their best football be a monster team, then go off to the NFL. And I just think like they were ahead of Ohio State's timeline a little bit. And if you look at the guys who went off of this team into the draft for Ohio State this year, like there's some good, really important players. Um, but in the end, there's only one first-round pick. Alabama had had eight in the first 38. Ohio State had one in the, in the top 60 um, and four in the top 100. So like it's a solid draft class, and they usually have – a pretty nice run in the middle of the rounds, and they did that again uh, this year in the third, fourth, and fifth rounds. But there just wasn't the kind of star power, I think, coming out in this draft class that we're used to seeing, and and it feels less so, especially when you compare it to Alabama. But as I look ahead, 
like I think the class that we just saw from Alabama, and like I don't I don't want to go all the way and say like next year's Ohio State's class can be just as good because this class was historically good for Alabama. You just said it was on par with Miami's in 2004. I think next year's Ohio State class like might look very similar to what Alabama just did, and it's a reminder like it's not so much that Ohio State wasn't wasn't talented last year. It's just that a lot of the guys that I think make up the bulk of that talent were a year away from being what a lot of those guys for Alabama were in 2020. Also, like Chris Olave could have been a first rounder this year, and he's coming back. Absolutely. You know, and I don't know where Thayer Munford stacks up in that discussion. Would he be a second rounder if he left last year? You think? Yeah, I think like top hundred. Yeah, you know so that you know that adds to the list too. Ohio State got people to come back, and this might be a pretty good story idea for you. I don't know if it's as as dramatic as it was at Alabama, but Ohio State got people to come back that maybe shouldn't have, and that's what Alabama did the year before this past year. And there could be some similarities of that. And it's just like you you're replacing a quarterback, so you know putting them on that on that plane of potentially winning the national championship. I'm not sure where. You know, as the months go on, we'll get a clearer vision of how we feel about this team and the likelihood that they could do that. But when you look at the offensive line, when you look at the wide receiver depth, I mean, I don't know exactly what you're going to find on the on the defensive side of the ball uh, in terms of top tier draft picks. But like offense is loaded. You know what I mean? So, you know, I, I think that you're you're right on the money there. And it's just a, it's just so crazy um, to think about last year's Ohio State team because you you get reminders of context all the time with more information. It's like we knew Alabama was loaded. But like if I would have told you after the game was over that six players from that team are going to go in the first round, you might have been like that's a lot. Even even with what we knew at that time. You might have thought maybe four, which is still a lot, but six is insane. Um and it kind of just puts you in a position too where you you reanalyze how you feel about the way that Ohio State performed last year. Because it's like, which Ohio State team was it? Was it a team that belonged and, and would have won a national championship in five of the last ten other other years? Or was it a team that had the best possible game it could have after having multiple years of aggression towards Clemson that maybe fooled us about who they really were in a certain sense? Because that one game, that one piece of context might not have been what Ohio State was in, in totality. So... When you match that team up, that might have probably... I mean, Ohio State, I think, of the fair is somewhere between the Northwestern game and the Clemson game, like maybe the average of those two things, which is still a really good team. But Alabama was a super team that was clicking on all cylinders all year, and it's like that was just a buzzsaw, you know? And the fact of the matter is, as I'm screaming at, at into the void, nobody's even listening to me anymore, but always about the amount of talent and you don't ever view Ohio state in the sense that they are dwarfed with talent. But when you compare the two rosters, despite the fact that they had 10 uh, draft picks a piece, Ohio state was to Alabama in that game as Michigan, maybe not Michigan or maybe Penn state or a team is to Ohio state in the big 10, just based on that specific matchup. And that's just a tough thing to overcome regardless of stage or, or coaching prowess, or whatever. When you're, if you're a team that is so much more talented than Ohio State, then that is just bonkers. It like makes you, it goes galaxy brain a little bit when you have to think about that. Um, so you know, it's under, it's understandable for sure. And I think that at the very least, it probably should make people feel a little bit better about the outcome of that game because you know you think about the Trey Sermon stuff and you think about you know the defensive game plan and you think 
Anytime you're four quarters away from a national championship, you want things to go perfectly, and they certainly didn't for Ohio State. But I think that they were just not going to win that game no matter what, and you can like rest and rest with that, you know? Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Alabama had six first-round picks partly because the Raiders reached on Alex Leatherwood in the first round when like no one had a first-round grade on him. And the Steelers took Najee Harris in the first round too, and teams don't typically take running backs. So you're right. If I, don't, I would not have guessed six. I probably would have guessed four. But I, I would have guessed eight in the top like 50 and it ended up being like eight in the top 38. So that team was still loaded. Um, you make, you make interesting points. I think about kind of where those two teams were in that game. And, and I thought that just this draft kind of helped crystallize it a little bit. Cause I think after that game, the, the championship game, we talked about the programs and how far apart they were. And I think you can have two different conversations, right? About like where the programs are and like where those specific teams were like in that given year. And I think clearly Ohio or Alabama as a team was like leaps and bounds ahead of where Ohio state was as a team for a lot of reasons. They had those guys come back. They had what was basically a normal season. Um, Ohio state had all those COVID issues at the end. I think the practice schedule was wonky. They only practiced once apparently before the national title game. Um, it was just like a bad situation. I think for that particular Ohio state team to match up with that particular Alabama team, but in terms of where the programs are, I think they're pretty close. And um, like I wrote my state of the program story that it's on The Athletic on, on Monday morning. Again, theathletic.com slash 4-6. And like that's kind of the gist I get from Ryan Day this offseason is like we have things we need to address, particularly on a defensive side. But from an overall talent standpoint, where we think the program's headed, like we're right there. We're right there where we need to be to, to win a national title. And, and I do think when you look at the way the roster sets up and now Ohio State's a team that unexpectedly had guys come back. And they have, a, I think, at key positions outside of quarterback, you know, receiver, pass rusher, offensive tackle, they have some guys that can make some serious leaps next year. And, that, and that's part of the reason why I think next year's draft class could, could be one of the best maybe we've seen from Ohio State in, in recent years. That 2016 class was kind of absurd. Um, but I think this could be something similar to that because you have the two receivers, you have Zach Harrison, you have Tyreek Smith who could rise, you have both the offensive tackles, 
I, I look at 2022 early mock drafts because I'm a sicko. They don't really mean anything, but like seven banks' name pops up, and maybe that's because he's the next Ohio State corner. But even if he takes a leap forward, like he's going to get drafted. Um, Jeremy Rucker might be the top tight end. Teron Vincent, if he makes a leap, we think he's going to make. Haskell I think Garrett. he'll be highly sought after. Haskell Garrett, like you can get, you can convince yourself, I think, pretty easily that Ohio State will have like three or four first round picks next year, and possibly like seven or eight guys who go in the top like sixty to seventy picks. Yeah, no, I think that's what it is. And if you put that into perspective, and they figure things out on defense, then what are we doing? We're talking about a national championship caliber team again, which is is the standard. But that's that's kind of where it is. So. Um, I was wrong, I think, and I want to admit that. I think that after the national championship game, when we did the podcast, uh, was that, did we do it the next morning? Yeah, I was in my hotel room in Miami looking over, uh, was that Biscayne Bay yeah. down there? It's beautiful, yeah. We got into a little bit of a dispute about Alabama in the context of where Ohio State relates, and you made the point of the teams were far apart, but the programs weren't far apart, and I pushed back on on the idea that Ohio State as a program was wasn't as far back as the game indicated, and I think you were right in that in that discussion. Nice. I will say though that Alabama still is a major step ahead of Ohio State, and at a certain point, national championship totals just have to take the cake. And you know, if the answer to that question is just Nick Saban is is a god, then you know I can accept that, but. Ohio State needs to start winning national championships because they are built to do it and they're not doing it enough. And that's like a fair criticism, I think. For a team that is built the way that they're built, for a program that expects to win at the highest level, and for a fan base that craves that, I don't think that's unreasonable. Now, what's Alabama won five or four national championships in the in the last five or in the last eight years or nine years? I think it's four national titles since two thousand twelve. Is it more? Since 2012, uh, they have won one, two, three, four. Yes, four, and that's you know what every other year on average uh, for yeah you know the better part of a decade, and it's like three in the playoff. And, when, and also when you think about the way Ohio State's teams have been built during that same span, the fact they only have one is tough. And I understand that Clemson is. Uh, also part of this equation and you know when you have teams that are built this way you know you can but Alabama has done it with such regularity that it's almost bonkers it's not almost it is bonkers and like Nick Saban has actually put the sport into a kind of a situation where it's like almost feels hopeless to try to compete with him and there's a there's a handful of teams that are trying to do that Ohio State being one of them and they just can't get over the top so you know I don't know what goes into the secret sauce as we like to put it or what needs to happen because the recruiting results have been for the most part pretty similar and I, and and when I was on Andy Staples show uh, on Monday we broke down the, the the difference and here's the difference bill so I think that Ohio State's recruiting stars total are very similar almost identical the output of total NFL draft picks is also almost identical and first round picks is almost identical. When you look at like what's going in and what's coming out, both programs are producing the same amount of recruiting results and draft picks. But the median draft position for Ohio State's players was a 70. Um, and Alabama's was 50. So like I don't know how dramatic that is for you during the during the span that we're talking about back to 2012. 20 spots better on average is almost a whole round. Right. That's yeah. a pretty significant statistic. And I don't know, is that just the recruiting rankings? Because Alabama's recruiting rankings have been better. Is that the manifestation of that? Is it better development? Is it better coaches? 
I don't know what it is, but there is something that's happening at Alabama that's creating draftable players that are, even though they match in totality, are still at a higher echelon of quality. And I thought that was a revelatory stat. That is, that's, that's interesting. It's actually a really good stat. You're right. It is It is just about a full round better. And I, don't, I mean, I don't know what that is. I think Ohio State's draft production is interesting because, you know, they developed a pretty good track record of putting corners in, obviously pass rushers in. Um, and now like quarterback is coming around with Haskins and Fields. Receiver, I think, is about to explode starting next year with, with Olave and Wilson. So that like I, I I do think you're going to see that median draft position like take a pretty significant step forward for Ohio State here moving forward. Another thing that Alabama has done that Ohio State hasn't done all that well is like it's put offensive linemen in the, in the league at, in high positions. Ohio State hasn't had a first round offensive lineman since Taylor Decker, um, and I think it's they've I believe this is right they've had three first round offensive linemen I think like since Mike Adams got drafted, which was like 2010. Um, like that's not a particularly high number for a program like Ohio State. They put a lot of linemen into the league, but they don't have a lot of the of the upper upper echelon offensive linemen the way Alabama does. So, like that is an area where I'd like to see Ohio State take like a pretty significant step forward, but if they're going to be churning out first round quarterbacks and first round receivers and like I don't think pass rusher or corner is going to be taking a dip anytime soon. I I do think that median number is going to come up a little bit. Yeah. You know, but over that sample size, I think that's the explanation. And it's like as it comes up, maybe it'll start to even out a little bit, especially with the way these two teams are built now because Alabama's kind of got to, you know, reload that because they basically lost every everything that they, they had. Um, but that's... Well, the other, another way to look at that, though, like, so that was since 2012, you said? Since 2012, the beginning of the Urban Meyer era. Right. So, like, Alabama has been recruiting on this level basically since then. Ohio State's only been recruiting on this kind of level really since the last draft class, right? That 2017 class is when it started. So for Ohio State, when they got on this like elite, elite Alabama-like recruiting level, in my opinion. Um, so that's just that starts with last year's draft. Like last year's draft, this year's draft, next year's draft is when you should start seeing that number uptick because that's when Ohio State started more consistently recruiting the way Alabama does. Yeah, and I think that, that, that could be it too, you know? And as you get – through these numbers, the thing that is tough about stats is you can mold them to mean and, and say whatever you think that, you know you need them to say. But like the fact that Ohio State has at least matched the total number of players, like first rounders even, and and picks total is a good indication of it. And listen, dude, if we're gonna criticize Ohio State, like NFL draft production is like step one thousand in in lists of criticism. They're like really really good at it. They're great, They're great at, it. Yeah. at it. They're one of the two, three best teams in the in the country in doing it. And it's just like, I don't know if you drop the idea of even comparing them to what Nick Saban is doing because he's a unicorn. Like, if that's it, then that's it. You know, there's nothing really left to say about that. And it's just like the rest of the sport is is waiting for the man to retire so that things can open up a little bit. But, you know, in the context of the sport right now, part of being a fan and, 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 and talking about the things that you – you know, want to talk about and listening to podcasts like this is that you catch the the monster that's ahead of you. And like Ohio State's recruiting classes are on par right now with Bama's. The only thing that needs to change, and I'm not even sure what that thing would be, is what you're doing while they're in the program that churns out better players in the draft, even better than they're already doing, which could be impossible. You know, it, it's possible that Ohio State is hitting its absolute ceiling and it just has to, to face Alabama. And if that's the case, then that's the case. But, you know, this past year, I think, was a a personification 
of just what the difference was for these two rosters, but I don't know that that's the permanent situation as we move forward with what Ohio State's bringing in now. Because if you start from the beginning of the 2020 class, right, and then you go from then on till now, Ohio State is is statistically better talent-wise than it's ever been, even during the Urban Meyer era. So, like, I'm very intrigued to see, especially if one of these quarterbacks turns out to be a star, like what this team could be in 2024, in 2025, like as these guys, then these recruiting results keep piling in because it's at a whole nother level. And it's like at a certain point, recruiting these classes has to manifest into national titles. And I'm sure they'll get one or two in the next five years or 10 years, but that it, it just has to. That's like that's the last step for Ohio State's progression. Yeah, I agree with that. And it does feel like it's been... I think we've discussed before, like how how often should Ohio State be winning a national title? And I think maybe we settled on like twice a decade or like where somewhere around there. So like you know they won in twenty fourteen. It feels like it's about time for them to to break through and win another one. And now I I don't Dude, know if I put that expect. Would you change? And I don't mean to interrupt you, but would you twice a decade? No, I wouldn't change that. What if I think it's reasonable? No, in the guy in the with the context of how they're recruiting right now, if they maintain that for a decade. Because um, I think that I would put it to three or four at that point. I don't know if I put it like four is a four's lot. Four is a lot. I mean, I, like two, that's I, the I thing about like Saban, two, though, right? Two and a half. Two and a half, maybe. Can I do two and a half? Is, is Saban like just changing the way you're supposed to think about the sport? Because two every decade is an absurd amount. Two every decade is absurd, and I think anything more than that in a time when Nick Saban is still walking this earth is is a lot to ask of anyone. Okay, even so, even teams that recruit the way Ohio State and Georgia. So recruit. Nick Saban is so good that even thinking that you could do more than half, a little bit more than half of what Alabama's done is insane at a place that's recruiting similarly. That's how good it is? I think that's how good it is, yeah. If you're an Alabama fan, why do you even watch the sport? What's what's the point? (laughs) You just show up in in January? No, but I'm just saying, like, what what are you rooting for anymore? As a fan, if you're a, a fan of a particular team, the whole point of watching the sport is to conquer the sport and to either win a national championship or catch the teams that are better than you. And it's just like Alabama is producing at such a high level that it's not even a fair comparison to expect half of what they're doing by the other elite level teams in the, in the sport. It's like, what is there left to root for at this point? It's over. Yeah, they I don't won. know. That's it. <laughs> like, <laughs> I guess it just depends on how what, through which which lens you view college football. Like uh, like me as a college football fan, like I don't I don't look through it that way. I know people do, and at Ohio State, like you're certainly entitled to do that with as good as the program is. But um, no, my my enjoyment from watching college football actually does not come very much from from the playoff or the championship. I just like like the entity itself, and I like the Saturdays and you know. All the pageantry and all that bullshit that people talk about with Ohio with uh with college football. It's not it's not the the titles for me, but I certainly understand if it is. I know, but if you're an Alabama so, fan, it's about titles, and if you have so many of them that it's absurd, it takes away the fun. I don't know. Maybe an Alabama fan would be like, well, I, I only want I think, another I think, one. I think, I think Alabama fans are having a good time. No, I know. I think they're having a great time, but I'm just saying, like the intrigue, the excitement. You know that feeling that you get. Every Ohio State fan got the morning of the national championship game this year thinking we're going to have a chance to win it all. This is a huge deal. Like Alabama feels that's so right. It's like being, it's like, yeah, it's like, Oh, we're here again. Yeah. I, I guess it's, it's the same thing as saying, I wouldn't want to be Jeff Bezos because he doesn't get any pleasure about the things that he buys. And it's like, maybe that's just <laughs> dumb because he's got more money than God and can do whatever he wants. But like if you and I were out yeah. to go out buy a Rolex that we worked five years to, to, you know, not that you would want one, but 
you know, if we bought something that we saved for and earned, the gratification of buying that thing is a culmination of all the hard work and the sweat and the saving that you had to do in order to accumulate that thing. It's less like if you had all the money in the world and you bought a Rolex, it probably isn't as exciting as it would be if you and I were to get one. Yeah, I can't. Um, I have. A, I can't put myself in the shoes of someone who's a fan of a dynastic team because that you know I grew up in Philadelphia. We don't have those, so I don't know. A dynastic. I don't know what it's like. Is that a word? Dynastic. Yeah, it is now. The more you know. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go ahead and Google yeah. that and see if it is. Yeah. Let's see. Dynastic, relating to a line of hereditary rulers of a country. That's it. It's a word. I might have. I might That's have right. <laughs> I, might have, I might have used it wrong, but it's a word. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. What did you think about Justin Fields' draft day? Um, like where you thought he would go, where he ended up going, what you think of him being kind of the, the face of the franchise now in Chicago? Okay, so I have these things in my head. They're called eyes. It blows my mind that he wasn't the second quarterback off the board. It blows my mind. And I know that like it – I knew as the months were going on heading into the draft, I knew that he wasn't going to be because it was out there. But now that it's like over with – like the entire Zach Wilson, Trey Lance thing. It's just like, did anybody watch the games last year? Like, I don't know. Like, I don't know. And listen, and I've said this on the podcast before. I'm not Mel Kuyper Jr. I'm not watching tape of Justin Fields, like where his thumb motion is on a throw. And <laughs> I don't know how to, to, to tell whether he has ideal footwork or what it's like for him a hundred percent of the time in a collapsible pocket and all the things that you, you know, the NFL lingo that it takes. And maybe there are certain traits that Zach Wilson and Trey Lance possess that Justin Fields just doesn't have that, you know, are over my head in terms of like the nitty gritty breakdown of a talent evaluation. But he was the second best quarterback in the sport this year. And I don't know why it doesn't translate. So, like, if I would have told you he would have been the, what was he, the fourth quarterback off the board? Yes. A year ago, would you have just, like, been like, what? Like, what? No, because a year a year ago, I wrote that he's going to beat out Trevor Lawrence to become the first quarterback in the draft. And, like, honestly, <laughs> the night of the playoff game that they beat Clemson in, I think you could make the case that he was the better quarterback. I think both times Ohio State and Clemson played, Justin Fields played better than Trevor Lawrence. Trevor Lawrence had the that crazy run, which is like a like he's got the kind of similar kind of toughness I think to Justin Fields and that run. 
that he had after taking that shot from Sean Wade was super impressive. But in terms of like overall quarterback play, even though Fields threw two picks in the first game, I thought Justin Fields was better than Trevor Lawrence both times. And I'm not – this is – listen, if you're the first time listening to this, you're just probably thinking, look at these Ohio State homers. I, I, it's not about that. No, Trevor Lawrence is also rocking shit as a freshman and won a national title. And, and Tre- so he's awesome. And Trevor he's, better, Lawrence, he's better than Fields. I'm not trying to act like Trevor Lawrence isn't the better draft prospect. That, that isn't the is. point. Yeah. The point is that he played on a similar level as that person on the same field, on the same stage, and won once. And threw more touchdown passes than incompletions against an elite-level defense in a playoff game. And it was just like I heard more about the Northwestern game than I did about the Clemson game during the, the the evaluation process. And we've watched this guy make throw after throw after throw off of his back leg. We've seen how accurate he is. And I think the most I've, the most important defining trait from a quarterback going into the NFL is accuracy, right? And then you add that into athleticism, arm strength, leadership, intangibles, toughness. The guy played with a basically a cracked rib in the playoff. I have no idea what it is that you would see out of anybody else, especially a player who played at the group of five or independent group of five level who didn't face a power five opponent or somebody who played in division two that would make you think, hey, this guy is better than Justin Fields. So I feel good for him because I think it's possible that his ultimate situation is going to play out the best for like his personal career. Like I think going to a place where he's the guy and it's undoubtable a place that traded up for you and is like happy to have you is probably better than, than what it might've been in other situations with teams who, who were worse in the recent past. But I will never understand why his, his entire pre draft thing was negativity and I'll never understand how he was viewed as the fourth best quarterback on the board. And maybe in five years, we'll be like, oh, that's why, because Zach Wilson is a four-time All-Pro. But right now, as a college football reporter, I thought it was complete insanity that he wasn't the number two quarterback the entire time. I would text you about it all the time, all the things that were happening. It almost felt like there was like a, a campaign hit job on his stock the entire time. And it's just like, did anybody watch him play at all? I know I sound like I sound like a, a Ohio State fan with hurt feelings right now, and I don't want to. But I just like that's how I feel about how good he was. He was the best quarterback of the Ohio State era that I covered for the past ten years, and he might be the best quarterback in Ohio State history, just from a pure at least talent most talented, yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. So I don't know. We'll, we'll see how it all plays out. But if I had to start my franchise around a quarterback, and I had to pick between Zach Wilson and and who was the number two pick in the draft in, in Justin Fields, I don't think I would even think about who I'd pick. I, I don't either. And I, I, I suppose it's because we're closer to it. And like I've done, I've done quite a few like radio interviews leading up to the draft or did quite a few radio interviews leading up to the draft talking about all this stuff. And, you know, like I, I always couched it with maybe I sound like an Ohio State homer, but I always said like I, I did, for the life of me cannot understand why anyone would view any other quarterback other than Trevor Lawrence ahead of Justin Fields. Like I just don't get it. And like Trey Lance has a lot of like intriguing upside. So and and in the end, maybe he and Justin Fields are, are kind of similar. Um, but Zach Wilson and it didn't play out that Mac Jones went ahead of Justin Fields. But like the idea that we were talking about the uh, the idea that Zach Wilson went ahead of him and we were talking about Mac Jones going ahead of him like was always absurd to me. Um, so it works out that he's the fourth guy, but 
he ends up in an interesting situation because like if he were to go to <clears throat> Jacksonville in theory, although it wasn't going to happen or, or New York, like not much is exp- like if Trevor Lawrence goes five and 11 or five and eight or five and 12, I guess this year was 17 games. Like no one's going to think like Trevor Lawrence stinks. That's sort of like normal progression for Jacksonville. Chicago was eight and eight the last two years. They've had, they have a playoff caliber defense. They're just waiting for the quarterback. And like Justin Fields, who I don't think is going to sit behind Andy Dalton. I think he's going to start. If not right away, he'll be a starter by some point this year. Like that is a team that I think believes it should be making the playoffs next year. And now it's like on Justin Fields' shoulders to get the Bears there because they have a really good defense and like a decent enough offense around him. And they address some issues in the rest of their draft for their offense too. So he's not, uh, I don't think going to get like eased into his situation or eased into his pro football career at all. Like he is going to be expected to kind of be a dude from the beginning and get a team that's starving for success to the back to the playoffs. Yeah, that's good. It's good for my fantasy team. It's good. Uh, it is good for your fantasy team, by the way, should we hash out a trade right here? Or yeah. Think people would like listen to that? I need Jamar chase. Uh, we're in a, uh, dynasty football league and landis and i are discussing trades uh from high school players because you can draft anybody <laughs> you want uh during the offseason because we're nerds but you know quinn ewers is available in this year's draft i have my eye on <laughs> <laughs> um yeah but i i think it, it'll work out well for him i'm very intrigued to see because here's the thing all of them are probably going to be good like i don't know like when's the last time there was a jamarcus russell bust like I think that quarterbacks are better, and I think they're better evaluated um, as we go on. And it's just like I think they're all going to be productive NFL starters. It's just like which one's going to turn into Aaron Rodgers, and it's yeah. just like maybe that'll be Trevor Lawrence from the get go. But it's just like if if Justin Fields turns out to be one of the three best quarterbacks in the NFC for the next ten years, and like Zach Wilson's out of the NFL in four years, it'll be like what was anybody doing? And it's like, or maybe Zach Wilson will be the best quarterback in the NFL in four years, and everybody will be like, how could you possibly think Justin Fields is better? So, you know, with more time, obviously, you get more context with things. But in terms of just draftability, I don't know if there's one thing that I would say negatively about Justin Fields. Like, and if you've listened to this podcast over over the years, I've criticized JT Barrett to no end. We've criticized Braxton Miller's durability. We've car- uh, criticized Cardale Jones. Um Dwayne Haskins was a statue. Like there, there are certain things that you could say about every really good college quarterback that Ohio State had. I don't know that I have a negative thing to say about this guy. I mean, he's got a he's a little bit of an unorthodox thrower compared to the other guys. He's got like a little bit of an elongated motion motion, but I don't care. And like he holds on to the ball long because he's making plays down the field. So like the end of the like he he probably took one too many sacks in college. It's not all on him, but you know, a decent amount of it's on him. But he's a playmaker, man. Like I don't know, I don't know how you could watch him and like not become completely infatuated with him. All I see when he throws the ball is a laser show. So I don't know, like yeah. what you know, what it takes him point oh eight seconds longer to throw the ball than somebody else or something like that. Then that's fine. Yeah, it was like, yeah, that like, was funny. I was, it was during the draft. It was like, all right, here's Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson, uh, Trey Lance, and Mac Jones, and they like trace the path of their arm, and like that ball gets out in point five seconds. And then they showed Justin Fields, and he's like, that ball gets out in point six seconds. I was like, okay, yeah, is that <laughs> okay? Sometimes I just think that it's just what's that analysis by paralysis or paralysis by analysis? Paralysis by analysis. Yeah, just like how many bullshit stats do we need to like analyze before we just look turn on the film and watch somebody play you know right want to watch tape yeah you want to check tape 
Let's check tape. Uh, speaking of Trevor Lawrence, what did you make of Urban Meyer's first draft class, a.k.a. the Ohio State Fan Fiction 2017 recruiting class? Urban Meyer believes that stars matter. <laughs> Clearly. It's, a, it's clear. It, it's The thing I like most about Jacksonville's class is it is readily apparent which picks were Urban Meyer's and which picks like Trent Baalke actually got a, uh, got a word in for uh, for the Jaguars to pick somebody. I made a, a pretty it, it didn't happen often. A pretty easy layup joke uh, on Twitter that people seem to like um, about how the uh, Jags were on the clock for like nine minutes on their first pick, and everyone's like, "What the hell's going on here? Let's just get the show on the road." And I'm like, uh, "This delay is Urban Meyer confusion about not being able to take eight out of the top ten players on his board," <laughs> um, and it's just funny because you know I thought that some of the picks were kind of odd. Um, but I yeah. also realized that like half of his draft class were players that he either landed or recruited out of high school. And then the other few were like players that tortured him on the field in real life. So like that, like to me is, and how many of them were five stars? Did you pull up that stat? Four of his first six picks were five star prospects. Trevor Lawrence, Tyson Campbell, Walker Little, J2 fellow. Yeah. And all I don't know. I don't think Ohio State ever offered Trevor Lawrence, um, but like Ty, I'm pretty sure they offered Walker Little. They were definitely in big on Tyson Campbell, and J2 Fele was a guy we talked about a lot um, in his recruiting cycle. And he, uh, I think he had Ohio State among his finalists. He was an official visitor for the 2016 Michigan game, um, and they didn't get him. But like that was like that was before they got Teron Vincent, and it was like when is Larry Johnson gonna like Larry Johnson gets all these stud ends? When's he gonna get a five star defensive tackle to pair with those guys? And like J2 Fele was a guy at the time that sort of felt realistic and they didn't get him and then urban just drafted him. So now we can coach him. There it is. You know, I'm very, very much excited to watch Jacksonville. Um, Me too. I'm excited to buy Madden, uh, you know, all sorts of different cool NFL things, but I, I, I don't know that I would have expected really anything else. Yeah. Right. It makes sense. It's like, what's the, what's urban going to do in his first draft class? Oh, draft a bunch of five-star prospects. Okay. Yeah. That played Check at the out. highest <laughs> level and competed against Ohio state. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, and, and it does like it's still going to be because even Trevor Lawrence and ETN like didn't Urban was gone by the time the 2019 game rolled around. Um, and ETN, I don't believe was on the team in 2016 when they went Clemson beat Ohio State by a score that we won't remind you of. Um, but at a certain point, and it's coming soon, like Urban Meyer is not going to have all these evaluations in his head already of, of these guys that he recruited in high school. But I think this class and probably next class too, he's going to rely heavily on, on guys that he was familiar with recruiting at Ohio State. And I wonder how much he takes in, into account high school tape. Now, that'd be an interesting story. It's like, sometimes I wish that like I could just move to Jacksonville and cover the Jaguars as a beat writer, because that would just be, yeah, me too. I'd look it'd be very, very interesting to ask him questions that because of our intimate knowledge based on the way that we know that he, he, um, when about his job at Ohio State, how much relevance there is to that in, at the NFL level. And it's just like, if you're pulling the strings and making personnel decisions, then I would say that that's a lot, you know? Yeah. And I know that he's not the GM, and we haven't given, you know... Many, no, he's kind of the he's GM. Kind of, you know, whatever, I don't know. <laughs> but, like, if he is... I wonder if he pulled up 247 Sports during his draft evaluations. Yeah, I made a joke uh, after they took Travis Etienne, and I put it out, and I said, here's Urban Meyer's big board, and it was a depth chart from the 2019 Ohio State-Clemson game of both teams. But it, he only took one Buckeye. Yeah, were you – I know Dane Brugler's mock draft had him every taking an Ohio State player in every round. You know, all the other thing, too, is 
no Rondale Moore. You know, I thought that would have been appropriate. Yep. Yeah. Um, I thought Rondale Moore would have been appropriate too. He didn't go, he didn't take any receivers. Um, I thought like for sure he would have taken it. I get, I think he kind of views ETN as like that kind of, I don't know, like explosive offensive weapon that doesn't necessarily have to be a tailback all the time. But yeah, Rondell Moore and Urban's offense, I, I'd, I'd watch I that. I just picture uh, Urban Meyer like Peter Griffin, and he just has a pencil in his hand and then has Travis Etienne and, and Trevor Lawrence in a film room, and he pulls on like the Clemson game uh, from the the two years ago in the beat 2000 and then hit and then hits uh trevor lawrence in the rib cage with a pencil and just said do that <laughs> <laughs> it'd be sound i think that's yeah just throw a scheme out the window just pop on the 2019 fiesta bowl tape and say guys do this just again. do that uh yeah. the uh his, his only buckeye pick was luke farrell which uh i guess in hindsight makes a lot of sense i i thought if you if you would have said to me like rank the Buckeyes Urban's most likely to pick, I would have put Luke Farrell and Pete Werner at the top of that list because they were like two very big Urban guys when Urban was here. So he picks Luke Farrell earlier earlier than people thought uh, the first pick of the fifth round, one forty five overall. And like Luke Farrell's not super splashy, but I think he might be like Jacksonville's number two tight end for the next eight years. Was he like Tyler Eifert? Yeah, yeah, maybe. Just like very solid, like you you use him out there because you know he's reliable as a blocker. Maybe he catches like ten balls a year. Or something. I also think I it's possible know. that he's more talented as a cat. I th- like he could be like, I don't know, like the Jeff Hireman of the NFL, but like a little bit more. I don't know. I, I think that Ohio State's tight ends are more proficient catching the ball than we believe that they are to be based on what we see in the games. It was funny. Uh, Trent Balky, the Jacksonville uh, general manager, was talking about Luke Farrell, and he was like, "Yeah, he was under underutilized at Ohio State, and they have a, another young guy behind him." who was underutilized as well. And I was like, here we go. More people talking in the offseason about Ohio State throwing to the tight ends more. Yeah, underutilized. <laughs> Even the Jaguars GM's on board. Yeah. All right. Any uh, any other draft takes before we move on to Jamison Williams? Uh, no, I don't think so. Yeah. It was a good draft for Ohio State. Like 10 guys. This I, I wrote this story after the draft. They had 10 last year. They had 10 this year. I think they're going to get at least 10 next year. And when they do that, they will be just the second program since the draft expanded or debuted its current format in 1994 to have double digit draft picks in three consecutive classes. The only other team to do that is surprise Alabama 2017 to 2019. So good run for Ohio state. Jamison Williams in the transfer portal. Surprising. Am I, is it okay to say yes? I just um, kind of feel like it's like cliche. Ohio State's got so many players; he can't get on the field. He has somebody had to go. It's you know this was going to happen sooner than later. Just like I thought, he was awesome. Then I'm I, like, if I were an I, Ohio State yeah. fan, I would be super sad about it because I think he's going to be awesome wherever he goes. I think he's going to be good wherever he goes too. I think you know you 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 bounce names around in your head like who you think might leave, and he was not one of the names I had not in my mind. And in and in hindsight, maybe he should have been because of the way the room worked out. This year, especially with Marvin Harrison making making such a jump in the spring, and Chris Olave coming back, like when when you assess it that way, it does kind of make sense. But I also think he's pretty different from everybody else in that room. Like there was there was a, a role for him, but maybe in the end, it was not the kind of role he was hoping to have because his role was like you're a backup outside receiver. We're going to throw you some deep balls, but like you're not. You might get like thirty targets next year, and you know he's a third-year guy, former top one hundred prospects, got a ton of talent. Maybe I, I understand wanting to go someplace where maybe he can get more than that. 
Yeah, I mean, like, honestly, he is good enough to win the number one and be the guy at most other places, I think. He started last year. Yeah. <laughs> he was a no. starter. He started six games last year. No, I mean, the guy caught a touchdown pass against Clemson in a playoff game. Like, I don't know, like, and yeah. on the exact type of route that you would expect him to do all the time. Like, I get it. Yeah. But it's just like, this might be the best player Ohio State's lost via transfer in the last 10 years. Unless I'm thinking or forgetting about somebody who's, like, really good and I'm an idiot. Well, there were guys, I think there were probably guys who were ranked higher coming out of high school, but just, like, never played and Ohio State lost. But in terms of, like, guy who was good coming out of high school, played and, like, flashed a little bit and, like, got you excited and then left. I know, I like, think Jeremy Cash went to Duke and was really good, right? Like, I, I'm just trying to remember, like, who – and I'm not even talking specifically about recruiting ranking. I'm just saying, like, best overall player to leave and then go be good elsewhere. I think people were pretty bummed when Brendan White left because he was so good in 2018, but then he went to Rutgers and he was like, fine. He was an undrafted free agent this year. He didn't get drafted. Um, I don't know. Like, guy guy who played as much as Jamison Williams was played and then left and then was good elsewhere, I don't. I can't think of anybody. Maybe people listening to this are screaming at us telling us somebody obvious, but I can't I can't think of them. Yeah. And I do think I don't I don't know. So there's there's a lot of uh scuttlebutt about Jamison Williams going to Alabama. Um it'll be good there <laughs> if he goes there. And I don't think Ohio State fans are gonna lose sleep over that because their room is so good and Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson are gonna be two of the best receivers in the country. But it's like I very much think that Jamison Williams is gonna be making some plays down in Tuscaloosa if that's where he ends up going. They are going to play him again. They could play him again. It is weird to me, and I'm not an Alabama expert, and I asked our Alabama writer, um, Aaron Suttles, about this. Like, is he definitely a starter if he goes to Alabama? Uh, and, like, the answer wasn't 100% yes. John Mechie's back, and, like, they, Devontae Smith is gone, and, like, he can slot into that X receiver role there. But, like, they recruit the position almost as well as Ohio State does. Like, there are other dudes in that room. That Aggie A. Hall kid, who's a true freshman with like a stud in the spring game, like he looks awesome. Like, I don't yeah. know. Jamison Williams might be better than him. I don't know if he's definitely better than him. Yeah, and it's like also, too, the thing about it is, is that on the outside, when we look at transfers, all we think about is, well, how fast can he get on the field? It's like they're also humans living lives and might have other reasons for leaving besides just. For sure. You know what That's I mean? Point. Like, I think that. Yeah. Just like, well, he he scored a touchdown last year in the Clemson game, and he started six game or whatever it was, and it's just like, maybe he just hates Ohio. <laughs> like, I don't know. Like, there's other <laughs> things that go into play here. Um, yeah. And maybe he, he doesn't get along with... in the middle with... of April, he's like, oh my God, it's 40 degrees again today? Okay, yeah. I'm going down south. Yeah. So, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, he's from St. Louis, so he kind of grew up in the same type of environment. Yeah. But, like, it's, it's a tough loss for Ohio State, but it's one that I know that they have to learn to deal with because... They are recruiting the position so well. And it's like, will Ohio State be fine? Absolutely. It's just like if he ends up at Michigan State or something, then I think they're – or Alabama, like it's a chance that they could pay for it. Yeah, Michigan State's in the mix too. I, I mean, it does seem like he's going to go to Alabama. Like Michigan's in the mix. I, I wouldn't think he's going to go there. Um, I do think he ends up at Bama. Um, but you're right. It's, it's going to happen more. I'm actually – you know, we're it's May 3rd. We're recording this at 1030 in the morning on May 3rd. And he and Max Ray are the only two Ohio State players who have gone to the transfer portal at this point, which, you know, if I, if I would have told you in January, like by May, they're going to have two guys after spring ball going to the portal. Is that fewer than you would predict? Because it's fewer than I would predict. 
Way fewer than what I predict. Yeah. Yeah. So, and I don't know. There's a lot of time here. These guys. So, the, the one-time transfer rule passed. And moving forward in normal, normal years, the guys have to let their teams know by May 1st. Is that right? Yes. That they're, that they're leaving. But this year, it's different because of the timing of the rule. They have until July 1st to let teams know whether or not they're leaving. Um, and that's not, I don't think Ohio State's going to have like a rash of guys jump in the portal at the end of June. Um, but there's still some time here for moves to happen. But the fact that the moves haven't happened yet, I think, is encouraging for Ohio State. Because this is a time of year where guys will want to go in the portal and, and assess their options and try to find a new spot. And so far, they lost Jamison Williams and Max Ray, two good players um, who have started at, for the Buckeyes. But I think Ohio State can absorb those losses, you know, rather easily. Yep. Okay. Anything else on your mind? I miss you. Oh, thanks, man. That's nice. I'm going to come out to see you in Texas, I think, sometime. Yeah, soon. we got the guest room all ready to go. Just got done. My back hurts. We moved all weekend. Um engaged announced pregnancy purchased a home planning a wedding all in two months so you've lived the whole you've lived the whole life in two months will you just come over here and hug me <laughs> I, I, I think i think you might need it i'll bring you i'll bring you your snowboard yeah bring me my snowboard and then also <laughs> yeah just like what i need is just an eating weekend as long as you don't go to camp Easy's. yeah no it's trash you are uh did you laugh at that micah parsons tweet I did. Campeasies does suck. Um, I think there's a lot of crossover between this podcast and people who listen to Buckeye Talk. And I, I think you and I have talked before, and I'm pretty sure Doug has talked before, about the Mexican restaurant we went to um, when Ohio State was playing. Or were we down there? We were in Dallas for something. It was the day that we we flew into Dallas because we drove oh, up to, to go Oklahoma. to Oklahoma. Yeah. To go to Oklahoma in, 20, in 2016. We went to this Mexican place called Avila's near the airport and it was incredible and now you live like two miles from there. yeah it's great <laughs> so yeah i'll be there uh what the, i'll be there in 15 hours <laughs> yeah it's a it, you're welcome at any time dollaby you know and uh all right we could do a podcast in person because it's been a while we i used to walk drive over to landis's house to do the podcast in his house looking at him and it's like no. i'll bring the mics i'll bring the recorder we'll do uh we'll do uh four to six with a and b on location at a at avila's at avila's with some arose I haven't gone there since I moved here. So like maybe I'll go there for lunch today. You should report back, please. Will do. Okay. All right. Thank you guys for listening to four to six with a and B again, please go to subscribe to the athletic, the athletic.com slash four dash six. Get you signed up. Uh, leave us some five star reviews on, on Apple. Someone, someone dinged us with a four star the other day and we can't have that. So please, uh, please help us balance that out with a couple five star reviews. Um, you can drop some questions in there. It's about time for us to think to, to, get some more of your questions on an episode. So you can drop them there. You can shoot them to the email 426ab at gmail.com. And we'll compile some of those for a future episode and get some of your thoughts on what's going on with Ohio State. Slow time for the Buckeyes, I think, for the most part, for the next few months, uh, or at least for the next month. But recruiting um, is going to be busy in June with visits and camps and all that stuff. So still still a decent amount to talk about with Ohio State, even though we're technically in the offseason. So thanks for listening. We'll talk to you guys next time.